Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Nine months in, the Trump presidency continues to challenge the status quo in dramatic ways. But will it bring equally dramatic results, creating seismic impacts on economic, political, legal, and social arenas? Brownstein corporate shareholder Mike King moderates a discussion on the many questions that remain regarding how the administration will translate the president's rhetoric into policy, including proposals for the most sweeping tax reforms in three decades. Panelists include Brownstein Policy Director Kate McCandless and Strategic Advisor Barry Jackson, along with tax shareholder Greg Berger. My name is Mike King. I'll be your moderator this evening. And to my far right, Barry Jackson. Barry, uh, the New York Times calls one of the most influential figures in Washington and a force in Republican politics for more than 20 years, uh, chief of staff for John Boehner and one of only two people in United States history to have served as Chief of Staff to Speaker of the House and Senior Staff to the President of the United States. Greg Berger, my friend Greg Berger, uh, literally got on an airplane to come back from Washington, D.C. to join us for this panel. Uh, He's been running around Capitol Hill doing tax reform. Uh, And so when we get to that portion of the program, there's nobody better versed in tax reform than Greg. Kate McCandless is a policy director with Brownstein uh, with 16 years of legislative, regulatory, and political experience uh, advising clients across the policy spectrum. So without further ado, uh, we will jump in and let Greg cruise through a couple of these fun-filled slides on tax reform. Uh, But just quick show of hands, Uh, how many people think that tax reform is going to get through Congress before New Year's Eve in some form or another? The panelists are exempted from voting. So how many people, tax reform will get through by New Year's Eve in some form or another? (laughs) Some form or another. All right, there are not a lot of true believers in tax reform out there. Uh, Let's see if Greg can guide us through this. Okay, so we'll go through some of these first slides pretty quickly. Uh, I did these slides about two days ago, so they're a little outdated, I think, (laughs) as of now. And this first slide was suggesting maybe, maybe this is going to be harder than some people think. After all, what has Congress really done? Uh, it's hard to get a coalition together. There's a lot of other things going on. Uh, I, I pretty much discount this now. I think that the people that are focused on tax reform in the House and the Senate are focused on tax reform and other noise or events going on outside is not slowing them down or losing their focus. So uh, like Chief of Staff Kelly, uh, he just doesn't worry about tweets. He doesn't worry about tax reform. He's not on the tax reform side. Uh, the, the, the Treasury people, the, the big six, uh, tax reform is moving along uh, with the people that will move it along. And, and on the eve of the uh, anniversary of the stock market crash of 87. Uh, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin said if tax reform doesn't pass, there'll be another significant dip in the stock market, which we'll get you all to weigh in on. But Greg, sure. thoughts? I'm just a tax lawyer. I, I, I don't <laughs> anticipate Kate, Kate has political opinions. No, I mean, I, I, you certainly have seen in the markets recently that there seems to be this baked-in thought that they are going to get something done. So, yeah, I, I mean, can you see something slipping if they start to uh, to show some, some fractioning and, and this looks less and less likely? Yeah, maybe, but I don't know that 
we're going down to, to Black Monday again. So uh, with that, you can leave your money in the market. Don't panic on account of the Brownstein political panel. <laughs> Next slide, Mr. Berger. Uh, let me see. As I told you, I wouldn't be able to Key players. These. Oh, key players. Yeah, so this is really the, uh, the essentially the, the big six uh, with a couple others added in there under Treasury. I think these are the folks that have been uh, doing yeoman's work and their, and their staff. Uh, in particular, uh, I think that the uh, Chairman Brady's staff, Ways and Means, uh, they pretty much have the thing about ready to go, I would guess, because the Senate will pass, if they haven't already, they'll, they'll pass the budget, and soon after that, you'll see something. Um, yeah, so they're, they're the ones that are uh, in play. Uh, this is additional players. Again, I am, what I like about this mostly is a lot of people are worried about the deficit hawks. Uh, Barry, those were people that used to be in your party, right? Uh, yeah. Still are. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I think there, there still is some question about whether someone, for example, like John McCain will worry about the deficit because of the impact it may have on the ability to have uh, what he would view as adequate defense spending in the future. Uh, so I don't know that these issues have gone away. I think certainly there will be a House bill and there will be a Senate bill, and perhaps at that time uh, some of these flanks that we saw splinter in healthcare might start showing up, but the sense I get is that this will be a more disciplined process, and perhaps they've already uh, worked out some of those differences before the language drops. So some of the potential elements on the table for tax reform, and I know this is very complex. Uh, Greg, if you can take us through what we're looking at. Sure. Uh, so in, again, in July of 2016, Ways and Means came out with their Blueprint for America. Uh, nobody thought much of it because uh, President Hillary Clinton would not have anything to do with it. Uh, then comes an election, all of a sudden the blueprint became uh, the uh, primary document to move forward on. Uh, the one element in the blueprint that created the most concern was the border adjustability, which clear soon then just was left for dead. Uh, which really meant, I think, at that point, uh, the, uh, the, the drivers of the bill certainly were uh, Chairman Brady's office, but clearly in, in something that was different than the original House blueprint. And there was I think, more coordination with the Senate that never uh, liked the border adjustability provision, and uh, some with, within Treasury and the administration. So uh, this one is more historical than, uh, than should then it is relevant. Forward? Yeah, let's get to the big six, because this is really uh, the framework from which we'll see a bill. Now, the United Framework that came out from the big six was vague enough that it's, it's not that hard to fit in uh, a bill that will be within its, its borders. Uh, clearly, I think everybody agrees that the corporate rate will go down. Expect that the House bill will have a 20% corporate rate. Uh, I'm not sure that that rate will stick, but if it's not 20%, it'll be closer to that than it will be 25, would be my guess. Uh, 
the pass-through rate. This has been uh, a big point. They, uh, you know, the talking point on this one is you need this for small businesses. Uh, interestingly, I think they measure small business by, by the number of people, not the size of the business. Uh, there's a lot of big businesses that would fit into this. Uh, there has been talk about this one, about clearly you have to prevent uh, lawyers and accountants from benefiting from this, uh, service providers. It, this becomes, this is not a tax simplification provision. This is true reform, and it's unclear to me how uh, they'll put this piece all together in a way that uh, won't be subject to uh, tax planning. So tax planning being a uh, cynical term for gaming the system. Oh, not gaming, no, no, uh, uh, compliance, uh, tax efficient compliance, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, and, and pass-through, uh, pass-throughs are partnerships or entities taxes, partnerships like LLCs. Partnerships and S-Corps, yeah. Uh, and, and, and the theory, the theory makes sense, right? I mean, if, if a corporate form gets to pay 20%, why should a hardworking individual who just happens to have their business in a pass-through have to pay higher rates? So that's, I think that's one of the drivers behind that. Uh, expensing for capital investments. Uh, this one, I think the result will end up being more of a political result than it will be a policy result. Uh, initially, part of, the, uh, part of the Ryan plan was 100% expensing. It's really moving to cash flow tax. Uh, the expensing that I think is on the table now will be expensing for everything but structures. So think of it as essentially carving out the real estate industry from that. And uh, it's probably going to be limited to uh, a period of time. Five years is, I think, what people think. Um, so interestingly, a, a lot can already be expensed in a couple of years, even without this, between bonus depreciation, accelerated depreciation. Uh, Question is how valuable this really is, how much uh, uh, this will really uh, grow the economy, but it's probably a provision that we'll, you'll see. Uh, the next one is, is probably, I think, the one that is most controversial, or at least has the, the, the biggest headwinds, and this is the limitation on interest deduction. Uh, and it's unclear how this will come out. I think clearly it's going to be something other than a complete uh, limitation on interest deduction. Uh, you know, before in the, in the Ryan plan, you could not deduct your net interest expense. You could deduct interest to the extent you had interest income. Uh, I think what we expect on here is this may apply only to C corps and not pass throughs. Uh, it uh, may apply uh, to a percentage of your interest expense. And I think it's still up in there about how that percentage will be uh, measured. It could just be a straight, you can deduct 70% of your interest. Uh, more likely, it will be some percentage of gross revenues or some percentage of EBITDA. Um, and there are people who are uh, vigorously advocating one or the other. But I think most people expect that there will be a limitation on the interest deduction. There are coalitions that have been fighting this uh, completely. And, and, and this is, you know, Greg, Greg's touched on a lot of this. This is one of the classic examples 
where particularly the speaker and Chairman Brady are trying to do real reform. And it's also a classic example of where Congress um, tries to close the barn doors after the horses have already left, which is in the past decade of basically you know, zero interest, um, preventing corporations and others from borrowing at low rates to engage in financial manipulation for further tax benefit. That's what they're trying to get to. Borrowing for legitimate capital expensing and capping it so that it is true capital investment and capping it so that it focuses on smaller businesses rather than large businesses, even if you're in manufacturing or whatever. And, and Kevin Brady, Chairman of Ways and Means, has talked about this often. We're trying to get into a cash flow tax system in the business sector rather than a debt-based system in our business um, uh, tax system. Yeah, uh, and some of the arguments against this are the, the theory that equity and debt are the same and interchangeable uh, might be true for Google and Apple and Amazon, uh, not so true for other businesses, non-publicly traded businesses, uh, smaller businesses, uh, sometimes raising equity is not the right choice. There are, there are true non-tax reasons for having debt, and I think that's why they'll come out with something that they'll be able to present as allowing debt at uh, levels that are not over-leveraged. And, and that, I'm going to step on Greg's toes a little, go to this next point about territorial, because that that mindset is what plays into this debate over repatriation, which is on the Republican side, they are entirely focused on doing deemed repatriation. You know, for a couple of years, this was um, the fashion in Washington and New York to talk about we're going to repatriate at whatever the rate is, and then we're going to take that money and put it into infrastructure or health care or whatever it is. In, in, in the way they're thinking about this, and again, from Brady and Ryan in particular's point of view, is we're, we're going to have a clear tax structure, but it's not our job to tell corporations how to spend their money. So it's going to be deemed. Nobody knows really where the number is going to be, maybe 10, 12 percent. And then don't care what a corporation does. They can leave it parked overseas if they want to, if they want to bring it back. There's probably going to be incentives for them to do so. But the idea here is less manipulation and get everybody into a cash flow decision-making process rather than a debt business process. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting things about this, what we'd heard about for a long time, if you go to the, again, back to the, the blueprint, was they're going to go to a territorial system. Money earned overseas is taxed where it's earned, and then when it's brought back, that's not a taxable event. Uh, probably what you'll see, and you'll see for post-1986 pre-enactment earnings, there will be a tax imposed on what you earned for those past uh, 30 years or so. Um, and you'll have probably eight years to pay it. Uh, there may be a bifurcated rate, a higher rate on cash that you're holding overseas, a lower rate on things you have invested. Um, and that generates a lot of revenue for, for this bill. Uh, then 
Going forward, the idea was there would be a pure territorial system. You pay tax where it's earned, and then when you bring it back, there's no tax. I think people think there will probably be some sort of global minimum tax uh, where you just pay a lower tax on your worldwide income and bring it back when you want to or leave it there. We don't care. That event itself will not trigger the tax. Um, so it really isn't a pure territorial system, I don't think we'll see. We'll see, ironically, you'll see a system similar to what the Obama administration uh, was proposing. proposing with a much lower rate. Right, because Speaker Boehner, when he was doing the grand bargain negotiations with President Obama, Speaker Boehner was, and, and Dave Camp, who was Ways and Means Chairman at the time, pure territorial. And I remember Secretary Geithner telling us, no, 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 we're going to get you to pure territorial. It, it, it'll get you like 90% of the way there, which if you're a Republican and you're listening to him, is like, yeah, I don't guess we're getting to 90%. But what Greg's talking about is right. And it's largely driven out of the White House, which is, okay, territorial, we get it. But the president's view is that even though we're going to have all these great incentives under this bill to locate here, finance here, manufacture here. Some people are still going to do it overseas, and so they got to put a, put a little vig on that. Any uh, quid pro quo for bringing the money back on shore? So there was talk of, oh, well, you know, we'll have a repatriation holiday, but some of it has to go toward nope. infrastructure. Nope, no. none of it. No. And I think at one point when there was uh, a thought that perhaps the uh, – when the question was, is it easier to get uh, 50 out of 52 votes or 60 out of 100, uh, that may have been more in play, that there might have been some sort of infrastructure component if it was going to be a bipartisan bill with Democratic support. I think they've decided 50 out of 52 is the easier number. Right. So before we get into individual rates and what it could mean for individuals, Kate, could you speak to, from your experience in healthcare? and the failed effort at healthcare repeal and replace, reform. Um, what's your prognosis on the likelihood of all this tax mumbo jumbo turning into something by year end? Well, I mean, I think that the 50 out of 52 is the most instructive part, but you know, how did we get there? We had a process where the House put out a package, it voted on it, it failed, it pulled it back, it voted on it again. Months later, the Senate had a package, and there was a lot of time in there for groups to engage um, and, and to activate, and they did, and it, you know, it ultimately resulted in, in no deal. This, I think, they're, they're being smart and they're structuring it in a much more closed manner. I mean, we're gonna see the bill, and 48 hours later, we're gonna go to markup, and then it's gonna be on the House floor, and it's gonna be very close to what we see in the Senate. I mean, you look at the, the blueprint, for example. I mean, it hung out there for a year and a half, and you know, people attacked it from all sides, and I think the bat was the thing you know that ultimately suffered from it. So, the the, the lessons that they learned were to move quickly, and they're going to do that. And I think that's probably the the momentum is going to push it across. And this and this is where um, I'll quit pretending I'm a policy guy, and I'll go back to where I belong, being the political guy. Is that the difference between this and healthcare, and the difference between this and everything else that has transpired? in the last 10 months with our new president is that for Republicans, this is an existential issue for them. You know, it's interesting, like in this room, very few people have confidence it gets done by the end of the year. Um, if, you, if you 
follow all of those you know geeky guys that have Bloomberg terminals and 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 dice everything up. They're all expecting, well, end of first quarter, maybe second quarter next year. What everybody misses is this. In mid-December is the first primary filings. They're in Illinois. By the time you get to the end of February, you've got pretty close to half of the primary filings will have to have occurred. Now, I'm, I'm mostly a house guy, and so I'll do it from that standpoint. The 200 and it's now 30 some members that are running for reelection are going to sit there as they get closer to December and say, so let me get this right. I promised for all these years to do repeal and replace on Obamacare. I booted on that. We've passed 14 human trafficking bills that got into law. That's not doing me a bunch of good at home. And now you want me to go home without doing the tax care? tax cut bill, I'm going to get primaried from the right, and I'm going to get eviscerated by my supporters. No, i got to get this done. And, it's, and, and again, like, sort of like the healthcare thing, content is important, but sometimes in politics, the action is what matters. And I think that is what drives this here. And Greg, you know, is 100 times smarter than me on the content of this stuff, and God knows there's a thousand landmines that are out there that could blow this thing up. But the fact that over the past several weeks, everybody was wringing their hands about, could we even get the Senate to pass a budget to start this process? And that the Senate's been on the budget for 48 hours, and all of, expect, all of us expect this evening that the Senate's gonna pass the budget, just tells you what the mindset in. There, there's, there's a saying. Nothing sobers you up as quickly as when you realize the gallows that you just built are meant for yourself, and that's where the Republicans are about this bill. Well, that is uh, sobering and enlightening, quite the analogy. Uh, on a lighter note, um, we have some fun audience polling, and there are other issues before us that affect our businesses beyond tax. So we'll let Greg cruise through individual oh, okay. rates quickly and then move on to non-tax. All right, so uh, when I'm asked about tax reform, usually the question comes down to, okay, am I gonna pay less tax next year from individuals? And uh, really, who knows? Because one thing that has not been disclosed are the rates. We don't know where these rate brackets are gonna come. Frankly, we don't even know if 35% is gonna be the rate. I mean, it could be, it, wouldn't, it could be 39.6. Um, so uh, who knows? Uh, there will be some benefits for low-income, lower-income taxpayers, primarily the doubling the standard deduction. That will help very low-income taxpayers, uh, or anybody who really doesn't itemize. Uh, and uh, the repeal of state and local tax deduction, that got from the individuals, I think, as much uh, uh, blowback as the interest deduction did. So you'll see a state and local tax deduction that will apply to some and be phased out for others or apply to some taxes but right, not so others. If, if you happen to live in the zip code of 10065 or 10021 or 90210, <laughs> uh, your taxes are going to go up. Right. 
And, and, it, and that's only fair, because in a democracy, it, we ought to respect your vote. And those voters voted overwhelmingly for Hillary and for people to pay their fair share. Right. So we're going to give right. them a chance. And, it is, and, and actually, I saw, a matter of fact, I saw Senator Cassidy uh, making the same argument. Uh, and, and I agreed with him, although then I went to look at uh, the difference between the amount of money per dollar, federal money, that goes to New York, and it's about 70 or 80 cents, and the amount that goes to Louisiana, which is about $3 per dollar that they contribute. So there, was, there could be other fairness arguments made where low-taxing Louisiana is saying, we don't want to subsidize New York. Uh, but well, that, that's where they hoist on their own petard the issue <laughs> of progressiveness in the tax code. Yeah, yeah. But I think what you will end up with some limitation, uh, but it's not going to be a complete. It's not going to be complete. And this is, again, if, if you combine, if, if the top rate stays at 39.6, uh, the state and local becomes phased out or somewhat limited, high-income taxpayers might end up with higher tax rates. Heck yeah. Yeah. Um, the rest of this, uh, okay, repealing unspecified exemptions, deductions, credits, that really is whatever is in the camp draft, if they need more money, it's on the table. Okay? That's right. Uh, it could be 1031s. It could be other deductions. Uh, I think of ones I've heard that a lot of people are concerned about is, is 1031s might, might be limited. Uh, that might be referred to as modernized, uh, but there, there's other things that are on the table. Uh, and then, of course, you need to repeal the estate tax because 10 million is just not enough. And, and that was Greg uh, needling Barry, and <laughs> we're not going to fight that fight. Uh, we'll move right along. But I will say that that might be one that also gets lost. It, it's, a, it's a big number. Uh, I, I think even though it, it's always there, you, you think it will survive? I, I think a state tax um, continues, but I think they adjust. And just like what Greg and I were talking about on the corporate side, how they're trying to readjust what it really is, is that the valuation of, a state, of an estate, the value of your estate if you are Warren Buffett or, or Bill Gates, versus a guy whose family over the course of a century has accumulated 100,000 acres, and is, does not have a cash estate, he's got a capital estate, that's what they're gonna to try to get to. And the battle okay. has been joined. Okay, okay the steps to passing steps, tax reform. Steps. We're, we're through uh, a fair amount of these. I think that uh, the, the Republicans have uh, essentially come to grips with this creating a deficit, whether it's 1.5 trillion or 2.5 trillion, the number starts with a T, right? And that? No, no, no. A T. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, there may be uh, different ways of scoring this to minimize it. There might be dynamic scoring. You might assume there's going to be 3% GDP growth. Uh, you might have a different baseline. There's all sorts of things where the number may not be scored the way that it's traditionally been scored to try to minimize it. But I think that the, the, the calls that this has to be revenue neutral have been silenced. On this, on Democrat support, um, so those of you who are clients of the firm, uh, we're one of the few firms in Washington 
uh, multi-client firms like this that has their own PAC. And so we tend to host a lot of Democrat and Republican leadership and do things for them. And just two weeks ago, we had Senator McConnell in our office for an event. And he was really clear on the issue of bipartisanship for the tax bill. And he said, this will be a bipartisan tax bill. There will be red, st red state Democrats that, that uh, vote for this. As soon as I put 50 votes up, on the Republican side. Yeah, yeah. Um, this slide shows you, again, I told you I did this two days ago, and now I have to change best case for budget resolution is before this uh, talk is over. Maybe. Maybe, or maybe not. <laughs> uh, probably uh, there will be language Okay, chances for tax reform by year end. I guess I'm still not as optimistic that it'll be by year end, but I think there will be something, if it slides, it slides to January. Uh, but people will know that it's moving along. Uh, if it, It's a pretty aggressive schedule to get something voted on and passed before January 1. Kate, you think it's gonna happen? I think they've established a timeline, and that was something, to, back to Mike's question, um, that, that they never did with repeal and replace. And, and they have week by week, here's what's going to happen this week, and here's what we're going to move to the following week. And I think, you know, it, it certainly takes a, a level of, um, you know, commitment, but they've, they've planned it out. Yeah, and I think their, their timeline anticipates uh, before Christmas signing. Mm -hmm. Right. And back something very at the front end of this conversation about do the markets expect this, do they not? And I, I don't do market analytics, but what I can tell you from CEOs that I deal with, and it's a lot of guys and gals, and they have an expectation, as Greg said, it may not be 20, but they have a sense that this is going to be somewhere between 20 and 25, closer to 20. And as they look at what their effective rates are today, that's enough of an incentive for them to say, we're behind this, we want this. It, you know, yes, there's gonna be winners or losers, but overall, this is gonna be simplifying it and it is going to help um, our ability to compete. I mean, they're just, they're so, focused on this. And so if it does not happen, I think you're going to see serious risk to the economy. I mean, we're at the end. We're, we're way overextended on the life cycle of this market. And whether you count it as economic expansion or whether you count it just in terms of, of, of market valuation, if you do this, especially with the Fed, because I think they will keep on their dots and that you'll see another 25 bump in December, you'll likely see another 25 bump in March. You need to have this to keep the economy juiced and going. You've got, you know, if you looked at the beige book, for those of you who, again, geek out on this stuff, the Fed guys, all the, all the Fed branches put all of their, their um, survey data in, and it was really clear. Labor markets are, are getting incredibly tight. Wages are starting to go up. They're still wrestling with productivity. The corporate community is counting on this. And I, I gave you the political reason. If this does not happen, I worry that it's not so much the markets, because I do think the markets react, but I think that it is a bigger issue that you'll see a recession sooner rather than later. 
And if you're a member of Congress and you're thinking about running in 2018 as a recession is starting, not a good place to be. So uh, how much of the market run-up uh, is attributable to anticipation of tax reform? Uh, how much is attributable to cutting red tape or proliferating less of it? This is really interesting. So NFIB, um, for decades, has done a confidence and expectation survey. And Bill Dunkelberger, who's the chief economist for the NFIB, decided in November, um, rather than taking the November numbers as November 1st through November 30th, he took the November 1st through November 8th responses, lumped those in with October, and took November 9th to November 30th. And there was a substantial jump. All the indicators, whether you look at the University of Michigan, um, you look at BRT, all the indicators, the confidence level and the expectation level of continued growth is high. And the question is, 10 months into an administration where you can argue nothing has gotten done, why are those numbers still up there? And it gets to, Mike, I think this other part of it is, sometimes the benefit comes from nothing happening. There's a, there was a study, a um, bunch of economists got together and did, did this. The Obama administration were putting out two regulations a day. And the economists did a study that said, it takes seven million man hours on a regulation to figure out, does it apply to me, does it not apply to me, what do I have to do? And now you think about from the time that President Trump has got in till today, take the rollback stuff out, just the fact that they're not putting major regulations on the table. You're, you're adding what is the equivalent of seven million man hours into productivity every day into the business cycle. And people recognize it. Just the attitude of, oh my God, my government is not trying to kill me as a business owner has had a huge psychological impact, which is another reason why. If the tax bill doesn't go through, that's a gut punch for them. Mm. So uh, talk about one potential area where we might see more regulation, technology companies, uh, whether from the ability of the NSA or others to access devices as part of investigations, needing backdoors into your iPhone, uh, or social media, and whether or not uh, that's the, the free speech in the town square, or whether or not there needs to be a little more regulation and oversight. Kate? Well, it's certainly something that people are starting to focus on, um, you know, a, a much, much more specifically than before. Um, I, I think the problem is that, as Barry mentioned in our earlier uh, conversation, the ability of Congress to walk and chew gum at the same time is limiting, and there's not a lot of bandwidth right now. As we've talked about, you know, we, we expect to move this major piece of legislation in the next two and a half months, and so what is there left, uh, you know, oxygen-wise in the room? I do think, however, there are a lot of people who are uh, paying attention to the regulatory environment in Europe um, and certainly want to make sure that we are paying attention, that we may be uh, falling behind, and, and so I, I think you'll start to see some investigations and some hearings, but you know, I think we're pretty far away from a full-on regulatory change. So before we leave tax and jump to infrastructure, uh, Mr. Berger, likelihood of uh, reform to taxation, uh, private equity 
carried interest. We've got a lot of folks who are in private equity or ancillary there too. Yeah, uh, interestingly, uh, carried interest was uh, not mentioned in the blueprint. Uh, early on, uh, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin came out and said it would apply to hedge funds, which it's really not applicable to hedge funds. Uh, but it is in play. And they're prob I think when you get to the, the last thing about other, other items, uh, carried interest is probably something that will be taxed in some manner. I think it is likely to be a manner that perhaps will have a holding period, uh, maybe longer than a year, uh, with a sliding rate of, you know, maybe it slides from 70% ordinary to 30% ordinary if you hold it over a period of many years. Uh, but I think people expect there to be uh, some sort of uh, a bifurcated rate, and it might be as simple as just picking a percentage, as opposed to other ideas which were uh, apply an interest rate to invested capital or things like that. So uh, it will probably be in there, uh, and in part, uh, part of it might be because there are actual real policy arguments that part of it should be taxed at ordinary. Part of it is, if you lower the capital gains rate, uh, not the capital gains, and by the way, I don't think capital gains likely will be reduced. Um, but if you lower the corporate rate, if you give corporations territoriality, um, you gotta show something that, that they're paying for. And part of it is loss of interest deduction, which is a huge one. And part of it on the business side, even though this isn't corporations, it's more pass-throughs, will be some some increased tax on carried interest. And there you have it. That's as succinct as he gets. <laughs> so on the infrastructure, uh, is there real money behind all the talk of uh, infrastructure to make America great again? No. So how do we uh, get infrastructure done? How does the administration uh, plan to follow through on, on those uh, pronouncements? Uh, uh, all along the issue was um, you, you could talk about whatever the number is. The budget just doesn't accommodate it. it it's one of those things. Are we going to pay for health care? Are we going to do tax reform? Are we going to do infrastructure? Are we going to fund the military? You've got all of these things in the loop. And it is easier to cobble together infrastructure the way we've been doing it because state and locals have started to show more and more creativity because they're the ones that actually have to answer for potholes and bridges, even though it may be the Fed's fault. The mayor, the, the town council are the ones that get stuck with it. So, you know, you may find some kind of loosening of regs when it comes to um, PPPs, but without some kind of tax incentive there, those are challenging to do. So PPP, public-private partnership. Public partnerships. Have one dollar in the swear jar yeah, for acronyms. Um, it, you know, it, they're a mixed bag. There's some places where they've been very, very successful. There's some places they just have not been. And nobody knows what is common between the success guys and what are the failure guys. But there has to be some kind of incentives there if you're going to do this. But mostly, the, and, and this is where the regulatory thing comes in, I mean, if you think about, you know, the trials and tribulations of Denver and Colorado trying to do I-70, is that it, it, you deal with conflicting regs and 
and rules and you deal with the issue of things that are not being done concurrently, they're doing consecutively. So if you're trying to invest, if whether you're the governor of the state or whether you're some big private equity fund that wants to do a 20 year investment, you're not gonna do it if it's gonna take you 20 years before you get approval. That's the number one thing they could do. So the cutting of red tape will have a real impact. It can, it absolutely can. And one person's red tape is another person's environmental impact statement saving the I, I, I Look, if it's a, the, it's sort of, you know, it's the basic of democracy is that look, there's a rule, the process, is it fair? And if you participate it at the end of the process, you have a responsibility to accept the end of the process. And when you talk about moving regs into concurrent, rather consecutive fashion, you're not, you're not trying to put your thumb on the scale for or against, whether it's environmental stuff or whether it's moving people or whatever it could be, you're just saying, we all got regs, we all are trying to do the responsible thing. Why do we have to relitigate it five times before we get to the end? Um, let's go on record. Uh, what's the likelihood of a tax reform bill being done before New Year's Eve is out? Uh, percentage chance. 99.9. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I think I'm already on record saying it's going to happen, so I'm going to have to stick with that, 100. It depends what you mean by reform. The it's devil, a it's a tax bill. The devil is in the details. He stole my answer. I, I agree. Uh, call it reform. There will be a tax reduction bill, and it could likely have elements that we'd consider reform. Uh, but I would say 50-50 by the end of, if you gave me till the end of January, I'd be much higher. So I'll go on record as well, since I ask all these hard questions of all of you. Uh, something will pass that folks can claim as tax reform. Um, what that will look like, we'll see. All right, we're gonna call it a night. Thank you all, you've been a great audience, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Visit www.bhfs.com for more information.